it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I'm so excited to bring in Megan Monteca into the podcast. She is someone who has been able to do what so many of us have tried to do, especially those of us who really focused on the marathon. And that is take it from something that we kind of started maybe on a lark or maybe just as kind of an experiment and then improved and improved and improved and improved. And now she's just doing incredibly well. Not only that, but she has become so in love with running and so fascinated by the dynamics of how to become a better runner and all that's involved in that. that she's also now a coach over at McCurdy Trained, the biggest online coaching resource for all runners. And because of that, I couldn't wait to get her on, not only to hear more about her journey, really get into the details of how she was able to break through plateaus, both physical and mental, but also talk about, you know, basically the the way that she communicates those exact same elements to her athletes. So we're going to get into that in a second. Before we do, 2021 is here. I'm recording this intro on December 31st, which means you will be listening to this in 2021. So what are you doing to try to make sure that you have the best running year that you possibly can, the one that you're envisioning, the one that you're planning to have? We know races will come back in earnest at some point during this year. Many of you, if not all of you, will have some kind of goal, whether that's a time goal, a process goal, a distance goal, what have you, and how are you going to reach those goals? Well, having a coach is important. We talked to Megan about that today. I'm a coach as well, but sometimes getting information beyond that can also be really helpful, especially if you don't have a coach yet. And that's exactly why I created the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit, 23 of the best people in the running community talking about very specific topics designed for so many of you. And I'm sure that they're going to be, if you go look on the theramblingrunner.com forward slash summit, you'll find five, seven, maybe even 10 topics that directly pertain to you and will help you get over the hump. If you sign up today, you not only will you be able to watch live from January 15th to January 17th, but you'll also get lifetime access to the videos. And I will also be putting all the sessions into audio form for exclusive podcast content as well, all at your disposal. So go over today to theramblingrunner.com forward slash summit to register. Also, there will be a link in the show notes as well. So let's get into it with Megan Mateka. Hello, Megan, and welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. I'm excited to have you on. A fellow McCurdy-trained coach. I know you joined the group uh, a couple months ago, but you've been running with that team for for quite a bit now. First of all, congratulations. I know that as someone who you know joined the team a little under a year ago, it is kind of fun to be part of the group um, and to join them as a coach. So I guess, first of all, as someone who's been there before um, not that long ago, I guess, first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be a part of that really great running team. Yeah. And this is one thing that, you know, I've you know, been following you for quite some time and you're just such a fun person to follow and you're, you're, you're quite interesting and you have just, you know, first of all, we've shared Parks and Rec love. So I'm, I'm yeah. all down with that, <laughs> you know, think, you know, Parks and Rec family forever. But um, it's so interesting when you have people, okay, this is a great, a great thing where so oftentimes people think about running coaches. They think of something like, all right, this person must be like 
an elite, elite person, right? Like the, mm-hmm. one of the best in the sport. And they're going to try to help me, Mr. And Mrs. Joe and Jane Schmo, you know, become a better runner. Whereas like you're coming at this from a perspective of like, you know, you are, are in the same shoes as a lot of the athletes that you coach or will coach in the future. You've gone through similar circumstances, similar battles, similar goals, and all of that sort of stuff. And really coming at it from a uh, not a peer to peer situation, but, you know, one of those things where it's not like, all right, I have, you know, again, no offense to this person at all. But like, say, like Jared Ward coaching me. It's like, where's the where's the connection point here right like nothing that i'm going through is you might probably will be going through on the same level like i feel like you're coming at this from a similar situation as so many of your athletes and you've fought through it and now here you are like doing things that i'm sure some of your athletes want to do in the future that is quite a preamble i did not mean to talk that long so (laughs) i guess let's get into just speaking chronologically going back you know you have talked before about how you were, you know, at a certain level of running and you kind of plateaued and you were kind of just there lingering at that level as a runner and wondering if that was just kind of it for you before taking these big giant steps forward. So can you describe exactly where you were as a runner at that point and kind of what had led up to your your background as a runner uh, into that into that plateau? Yeah, sure. Um, so I really started running I started running in high school. Um, I wanted to stay in shape for soccer. Um, And then I kind of continued through college. I just kind of liked it. And then I was staying in shape for lacrosse at that point. Um, I always played midfield, center, kind of those running base positions. And I was just always really good at it where I felt like I could really run a long time. Um, And races really weren't ever in the forefront of my mind. they were suggested to me um, by a couple of teammates on my lacrosse team who um, kind of saw that I could run and suggested that I run Chicago Marathon in 2009. And I went with it, which is definitely not the way to get into marathons by any means. Um, you know, trying to sign up for something so endurance based at the suggestion of another person is kind of a big you know, a big thing to take on. Um, but really, you know, I signed up, um, I wasn't very committed to it. I just kind of assumed that I was good at running and I could do this. Um, my training was, I think I maybe ran three or four times a week. Um, I was in grad school. Um, I had friends I wanted to hang out with, you know, I was in my twenties. You were just, there were so many life things going on. Um, and my first marathon experience was actually really horrible. I hated it. Um, you know, not only was it the under training, but the night before I spent the night at a friend's apartment, we went out to a bar for a couple of drinks. Her apartment was by the L in Chicago, so I didn't sleep at all. And it was just really, really awful. (laughs) I, um, remember lining up at the start of that race and thinking that this was it. I was going to die. And, um, at least I tried something new, (laughs) but, um, I really never thought that I would go back to it. Um, and I think it took a couple of months and kind of in the back of my mind, um, I thought that I maybe could try it again, maybe do better. Um, I'm pretty competitive with myself. So I think that kind of drove me to keep going. Um, so I ran a few more and it was kind of the same story where I wasn't super committed to any of the training. 
Um, again, I had a lot of life things going on and it wasn't until, let's see, my first one was in 2009. It was like 2015 when I really started, um, to say that I would try, I would follow a plan, follow as closely as I can, despite everything else. Um, and that's when I saw a lot more changes was just bringing in some sort of consistency to my running. Um, I ran the rock and roll DC in 2016 with the goal of trying to run my first sub four hour marathon. Um, didn't do any speed work. I just really perceived speed work as too much and too hard. So it was all easy miles. And, um, at the rock and roll DC, I dropped my PR from a 402 to a 349. And then in October of 2016, I went down again to 340, feeling really great, following the same training plan. And that was the point where I started to wonder just kind of how much faster I could get. And that's when Boston kind of sat in the back of my brain was after that race. All right. So let, let's, first of all, thanks for that. That was a really crisp roundup there. You covered like <laughs> eight years, like really quickly, far more efficient with your words than I was introducing you. You know, you never know, like I was the one who's been doing these podcasts now for three years and not, not you. Um, so let's do, let's go back to the first marathon because we've had a lot of people on this show, not a lot, but quite a few who've been on this show who've, who've described a similar experience in their twenties of like, all right. And then like, through a dare or through happenstance, like a marathon pops up onto the radar and they decide to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure like, like yourself, like this was not something that stopped your running career. I wonder how many people this does have a negative impact long-term. Um, because you know, it is such like a, you know, um, it is kind of a wild endeavor to do without, you know, without a lot of dedicated training. So there are, you know, certainly um, quite a few people who listen to this show who kind of fall into that age group. So if any of them were considering doing something similar um, and think like, hey, like, hey, that girl did it and look at her now. Like, she's a run coach. Like, this is pretty crazy. Um, what would what advice would you give to that person who's kind of in a similar situation as you in terms of not like, Hey, do this, not do that, but some guidance you would give them uh, in preparation for making that kind of decision. Oh gosh. Um, I would say number one, really think about what you're getting into. Um, when my teammates suggested a marathon, I really had no idea what that entailed. I knew it was a really long race. Um, but I didn't do any research outside of just deciding that it was something that I wanted to try. So know what you're getting into. Um, the marathon is a beast and it likes to chew you out if you're not prepared for it. Um, but I think beyond that, you know, if, if it's something that you're interested in, I just, I believe in dreaming big and going for some of those really big goals. So, you know, do your research first and then I'd say dive right into it. Yeah. And now let's talk about afterwards, right? So like, you know, every marathon is going to be painful to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think, you're like going through, like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to make it fun. Like, well, you're still going to be out there for a really long time and it's going to be a lot. So um, in terms of like just recovering from that kind of endeavor and then, you know, coming through on the other side, we're thinking like, all right, I don't want this to necessarily be like, all right, I'm done with running. What an awful experience. Like when someone wants to recover from an effort like that without having ideal preparation, what are some things that they should keep in mind um, moving forward? 
Yeah. Um, generally at least two weeks off of running, I would say, um, I think a lot of people tend to jump back into a race way too quick. Um, you know, that has taken a lot of toll on your body. Like it said, marathons are never easy. Um, so a lot of rest, um, I think even just resting your mind, cause you know, it's not a lot of physical work, but it's a lot of mental work too, where, you know, instead of thinking about running and planning what what's coming up next, you know, just take the time to relax and watch a lot of Netflix and sit on the couch for a while. Um, I also recommend some good beers when you're recovering. Um, but I think just stepping away from it, um, focusing on other things and just, just trying to step away from running for a little bit is always a good recovery. All right. Drastic tangent because you brought up the beers. I know that you were a dark beer aficionado. In fact, you've actually won beer. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in your running career. Tell yes. me about this. Cause I've seen the picture of you holding, you know, I don't know if these, maybe these were empties. It doesn't take a lot of beer to hold at one time, but you did it. Um, tell me about this. Cause I'm so intrigued. So it's, um, it was the 4k on the fourth it's up in Boulder, Colorado. And it was at a brewery named Avery, um, which is one of my husband and my favorite places to go because you enter into this brewery and they have like 30 beers on their tap list. And it's just, it's really overwhelming, really great things to try. Um, but I, I had seen this race and I was like, I have to do this. I don't know if I'm going to do well because there's, there's really good running competition in Boulder. Um, you know, people move there to train there. So I didn't think anything of it. I, you know, I kind of ran it for fun and, um, it's always nice when you have a, a holiday off that you can do a race or a run or anything like that. But, um, yeah, so the whole premise of this run was that you could win your weight in beer. So the top male and the top female won their weight in beer, which is just incredible. Um, but I think I had placed second in my age group, um, which won me two six packs of beer. I got to pick my six packs, but the best part of the race was not even winning the beer. Afterwards, you got unlimited breakfast and you got unlimited draft pours until noon or something like that. Oh my God. This is amazing. It was you, the best. Again, of all places though, you're right. Bring doing this in Boulder. I mean, what do they say? Like if you don't have a shoe contract in Boulder, like you're you're really you're really nobody on the running scene? Something something to that effect. Like Yeah, the competition was pretty stiff. <laughs> all right. So so impart on me some of your expertise here. When it comes to if someone if one of these breweries were gonna make, I don't know, the Megan, you know, the Megan Mateka special, what would that beer look like? Oh, that's really tough because I like, I really do like many styles of beer. Um, All right, let's do the Megan Matekoff flight. What would that look like then? Oh, flight. Oh, that's even better. So it would have to be some sort of porter. Um, like I had a peanut butter porter with dinner today um, from Denver Beer Company. That one is really fantastic. Um, their graham cracker porter overall is a really stellar beer. So that is always on my flight of beers when I order and they do different flavors and variations of that. Um, and then I've gotten really into sours as well. And I think the last one on my flight, um, would be from outer range, which is another one of our favorite places here. And they do, um, a really great new England IPA called in the steep. 
Um, really, really good. All right. That sounds great. So, so definitely a dark beer mm-hmm. person. Yes. For sure. Okay. Now, does it matter the time of year? Because sometimes people can be really into dark beers, but say it's like a hot summer day. Are you still going dark beer or is there a little bit, it's a broad in the range a little bit? Um, still a hundred percent going for the dark beer. My husband hates that about me. Um, I will drink dark beer all year round. Um, but I do like, I do step into the IPA scene, the sour scene. So, um, you know, I've tried to expand my horizons, but if it's between a dark beer and something lighter, I tend to always go with the dark one. Gotcha. All right. Thanks. Thanks for indulging me on no this problem. tangent. I definitely <laughs> want to get into that because I, I'm also a big fan of the dark beers. Uh, that's okay. for sure. And, you know, knowing you know so much about it, like I'm just I'm a novice with that sort of thing. So I can get into it. I know we've had Stephanie flipping on this episode on this podcast many times. She's also like yourself. A beer aficionado who likes to impart her knowledge uh, whenever, whenever, I, whenever I need a recommendation. Not that like again, but you guys, you're you're in the mountains. I feel like the beers that I can get are not exactly the same beers you can get. I feel like I need to do like a, you know, when when the time when, when these things are possible, like you know, like the, like beer the beer travel industry. Yeah, I so another tangent. I had a really good friend that actually did her honeymoon in Colorado. And they just hit up breweries for the whole two weeks that they were here. That's what they did. So, I mean, you could really hit up a ton if you ever came out this way. That is awesome. All right. Yeah. Let's dive back into the running. Let's okay. do it. So, all right. So you're around 840. And I described it earlier as a plateau. That was definitely unfair because you you had, you had were, were progressing and you're doing well. Again, running, th- again, a 340 marathon. Um, I think I just said 840 by mistake. Uh, running a 340 marathon is, that's, that's very good. Right. Especially considering the time and effort that you're putting into it while um, while certainly you were, you were interested in going after it. It wasn't as you described it. It wasn't like this full throated effort in the in, in the marathon. So when you decided that you were going to you wanted time to take the next step or next steps um, to get faster and get better. I guess, first of all, what about this distance drew you in, especially considering your athletic background, which wasn't exactly endurance sport based. And then also how did you identify who you wanted to help you along this path? Yeah. um, That's a great question. What drew me to the marathon? I, I don't really know. You know, I didn't really try many other races. I kind of threw in a couple halves here and there definitely did not like the shorter stuff. Um, I think I liked just, you know, the endurance aspect, the long distance aspect of it. Um, I like the aspect that not very many people run a marathon. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, always a great conversation point with family and friends talk about how that was going, but I think it was just the distance that kind of drew me in. Um, and then of course, once I started getting a little faster, you know, this, little voice in the back of my mind with Boston and could you qualify for Boston kind of like was starting to shout louder and louder at me. So I think that kind of really honed me into just kind of continue to develop um, the marathon. And um, so when I, when I had the thought that, you know, I could potentially run Boston, I did want some guidance from a coach Um and I actually reached out to a coaching team that was local here in Colorado. Um, and I had signed up with them, worked with them, I think only about two months. Um, it really wasn't 
super happy with the experience. Um, it was kind of one of those deals where you sign up and it's limited communication with your coach. So I think I could maybe call or email twice a month and that just didn't really jive with me. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily a new runner, but as far as trying to train and be marathon specific, that was a new concept to me. Um, So when you have a coach that just kind of like threw stuff at you and there wasn't much communication as far as, you know, how things were feeling, how you were adjusting, um, you know, I I ended up kind of digging myself a hole and I um, strained my calf a little bit. partly because of the workouts, partly because my Midwestern body was just not used to the Colorado Hills. And that was definitely an adjustment for me. So hold on a second. Hold on a second. That's a phrase (laughs) that I've never, I've had a lot of people on this podcast. We're about to hit 300 episodes. I've never heard of the Midwestern body. What exactly is that? Well, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. um, And if you know anything about kind of Illinois in the Midwest, it's just incredibly flat. There's not much terrain going on. So, you know, for someone like me coming from Chicago, then moving to Denver, um, it was just an adjustment period, getting used to incline and decline pretty much constantly. I mean, there's nowhere that I could run here where there's not a hill that I'm going to encounter. So um, my calves just weren't really happy with that change. They were used to kind of the pancake flat. Okay. All right. So I thought this was one of those things where like if someone was in a police lineup, they'd be like, no, we're looking for someone with the Midwestern body. I mean, we do eat a lot of cheese, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, in that case, if we could transport that over to New England too, I think I had like four (laughs) cheese sticks today and sold them all for my kids. Um, All right. All right. So no, that that makes a lot of sense. All right. So you, so you had this experience, you start to get injured. Um, All right. So keep on going. Yeah. um, So then I think I was at the point I, had signed up for Phoenix. I ended up doing the half marathon in Phoenix and I ran it and I actually ran pretty close to my PR, even coming off of the injury. And that was the point where I kind of put it out there again, you know, on Instagram. And I said, Oh, I'm thinking about getting a coach. I don't know. I didn't have a great experience. And then my sweet Heather had reached out and, um, I definitely took over the conversation when she kind of gave me a little bit of guidance, but she kind of pushed me into the direction of getting a coach again. You know, she didn't say that I had to go with McCurdy or anything like that, but, um, you know, just having that kind of relationship, um, kind of that guiding hand to say, yeah, you can do this. And here's how a coach can help you like that helped me make up my mind to kind of find, um, to find a coach and decide that that's how I wanted to train again. Right. So we're talking about Heather McCurdy here, who, mm-hmm. who who you went out, who you kind of went with here. And on some level, again, not exactly the same timeline, but and I feel like in a lot of ways, and she's been on this show several times, her path as a runner feels like it's kind of mimicking yours in certain ways. Yeah. You know, you said earlier that, you know, a lot of times people sign up for a running coach and you think it's going to be this big elite athlete and you know, when I had first signed up, that's kind of what I thought that I had to have was somebody that, you know, ran crazy fast times and we're getting ready for the Olympics or whatever, you know, and it's just like this really bad perception that I had. And um, kind of the more I got to know her and the more I got to know, you know, some of the other coaches that are out there, I realized that that's not what I wanted. I wanted somebody that was going to be a lot more relatable to me 
um, I don't think I would have responded well to someone that um, just really hasn't been through that same path and hasn't really been in, you know, my shoes and my situation. Um, I think I got a lot more out of somebody that was relatable. All right. So what were some of the things that you and Heather started doing uh, from a training standpoint, mentally, um, even emotionally, if, 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 if that was necessary to improve you in the marathon and to get you, you know, to where you are today? What were some of the, the big changes that need to be made? And maybe even some of the little ones, too, that while they may be seen as little from the outside had a large effect. Well, number one, I started doing speed work because that was not something I had done before. Um, so just having, you know, a set week where she gave me my mileage and I had two quality workouts and, you know, the rest was easy and just kind of understanding how that worked, why that worked, um, and just kind of putting the work in for that. Um, that was relatively straightforward for me. Um, the biggest thing has always been my mindset. Um, I always struggled kind of you know, not getting dug into this hole of, you know, this is feeling too hard. I can't do this. You know, initially I always just kind of defaulted to the negative aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I had this perception that the runners that were faster than me, it was just easier for them. And, you know, we all know that that's obviously not true. Um, it's definitely just a lot of hard work and just getting used to being uncomfortable. That kind of makes you there, but it, it just took me a while to learn some of those things. And, um, you know, Heather was always kind of my cheerleader. Um, I was always comfortable kind of telling her when things didn't go great. Um, and I definitely beat myself up. Um, and she would kind of try to pull me out and get me ready for the next one. And, um, you know, what really helped was I started trying to figure out what I could do to make my mentality better. Cause I knew that that was the biggest, that the biggest factor overall, um, physically I was coming along with just the work she was having me do. Um, but if you can't get over some of these mental things, you just can't run well. Um, so trying to change my mindset was huge. Um, you know, I read, um, how bad you want it. That one helped quite a bit. Um, and just, you know, showing some techniques and, um, learning that there's always a little bit more left in the tank, even when your brain doesn't want you to keep going, you can, you can, um, you know, this sounds really cheesy, but just, just giving myself praise and congratulating myself for doing something that was hard and telling myself that I'm proud of myself for pushing through. And, um, instead of focusing on a workout as a whole kind of chunking it. Um, so, telling myself if I can get through this one interval, I could stop. And, you know, generally I would make it then through the rest of them, but just really focusing on, you know, they always see the mile that you're in. That's some of that really took, um, with me. Um, you know, it was hard. It's really hard to try to switch your mindset. Um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and, you know, you have to continually try to practice that. Um, oh, the other thing that I would try to do too, a lot of visualizing, um, as far as, you know, the end line, how that would feel once you cross the finish line. Um, but I think a lot of people miss the mark on that sometimes is you're only focused on the finish line. And I think you do have to practice, um, 
practice that feeling of when things get hard, because in any race, it really starts to drag on you and your mind kind of goes to that, those dark, dark areas, and you have to be able to pull yourself out. So um, practicing some of those too, and trying to get some techniques in and um, yeah, just really, really trying to boost my positive morale when I'm on any run, whether it be a workout or an easy run, just continually feed that positivity. Um, I think I read that it takes, I don't know, the ratios are different, but like four to seven positive thoughts to overcome a negative one. So, I mean, that's really what I did was I just kind of hammered that in as far as giving myself, you know, praise and compliments as I was running. And, um, you know, now I find myself more going towards the positive, which, you know, is great. That's been a ton of work. Um, every once in a while, just sometimes I'll see the negative, but it's a lot easier to pull myself out of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you sharing that, not only because I struggle with the same stuff, so I know exactly what you're referring to, uh, but I feel like a lot of people do as well. So I guess kind of going back, is this something that is specific to running or have you also had these same mental hurdles and when you played soccer and lacrosse as well? No, I really didn't. I was pretty confident in sports. Um, I saw it more with academics um, where I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and I can be really hard on myself, um, especially with grades and things like that. So, you know, growing up, that was kind of where um, my negative thoughts were versus sports, whereas sports were kind of just a fun outlet with my friends. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So let's go to, I'm assuming, you know, a lot of these can pop up in races, but we don't race nearly as often as we do workouts. So let's go to some of those early workouts that you were doing that from a mental, from a mentality standpoint, you weren't maybe where you are now or where you wanted to be then. So when they, when things would start to go badly, say you, you know, again, I won't put words in your mouth, but just, let's just talk about certain ways that either for you or even with some of the athletes that you coach that workouts can start to, to veer off course, at least in people's perceptions of how workouts are veering off course. Mm -hmm. I mean, first and foremost, work, workouts are supposed to be hard. Um, you know, you're supposed to feel like you're working and sometimes it just takes that reminder of this is supposed to be uncomfortable. This is okay. I'm going to be all right. Is can just be helpful. Um, you know, your heart rate is supposed to be up and your breathing rate is supposed to be up. Um, sometimes even just doing a body check on how everything else is feeling, you know, yeah, my heart is pounding, but my legs and my arms and everything else feels really great. So I think I can keep going. Um, you know, that can be helpful. Um, like I said, just kind of focusing on one interval at a time where if you can get through these next three minutes to the rest, then reassess, try it again try the next three minutes and more than likely you're going to make it through the whole workout. Um, you know, one of the most difficult workouts that I find is doing any sort of extended effort, um, kind of in the, in the threshold realm, sometimes in the marathon pace. Um, and you have to stay focused for longer periods of time. Um, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes up to an hour that can be really draining. So you do have to try to work up to it. Um, but just, you know, as much as you can just trying to divert 
your mind away from some of those negative thoughts is really, really going to benefit you. Because like I said, those negative ones just seem to have so much more effect than the positive. So the more you can bring in that positivity, the better, um, the better it's going to be. Yeah. And you mentioned beating yourself up. Um, Was that more in the moment or lingering, like, you know, dwelling on a workout and having that carry over through the rest of the day and maybe through the rest of the week and things like that? Both, actually, it was both. So that was another area that she that Heather really helped me progress with where, you know, I would beat myself up enough during the workout. But then my day would just be ruined as well. And she, I think she could tell through our conversations, even though it was through text, you know, we had enough of a relationship where she knew what was going on and um, just kind of helping me overcome that hurdle of it's just a workout. You know, it doesn't really affect, it's not going to affect your marathon performance in two months. You know, it's not going to affect the next week. It's just one day. Um, It was just a couple hours that kind of sucked. and. you know, you have to learn to kind of put that in the past and um, look forward. Yeah. One thing that was hard for me was disconnecting, like really caring about, about running just, you know, generally, right? Like say I had Mm -hmm. a goal, I want to do well, I'm investing in a coach. Um, You know, I have a workout. I know that these are kind of where my bread is buttered here, right? This is what's going to you know be the reason that I get to a certain goal. Like not one workout, the cumulative total of all the workouts type feeling. And then, and then also kind of disconnecting from the results of the workout. Like for me, that was always the hard, like the hard bridge to cross, right? It was like, all right, so I'm carrying, I'm carrying, I'm carrying, and now I'm not supposed to care. And I look at it now, like, yes, <laughs> that, that is what I'm asking. That is what I need to do. Uh, but at the time I'm like, I, I can't, like, I, it's either I'm in, I'm in or I'm out. And uh, I feel like I've, I've now, you know, our starting approach shades of gray here uh, to mix my metaphors. Uh, but that was always the hard part for me was like, I couldn't just be like laissez faire about how it resulted if I'm going to care before I started, you know? And if I did, I felt like there was some sort of like intellectual dishonesty associated with it. Um, that was, again, which kind of like bring me down a whole different rabbit hole. Uh, I don't know about you, but that was always something for me that was always a struggle. Yeah, you really have to learn and I've seen this said time and time again, you have to learn how to ride the highs, ride the lows, and just kind of hang out in that middle. You know, that's kind of really where that magic happens is when those like middle moments start getting better. You're going to have like really great workouts one week and really crappy workouts the next, but you got to keep your eyes on that, that horizon, that middle level there. Yeah. And I use this anecdote, it was like a month ago and in, in a different episode, but I feel like it, it relates to here as well as you know, this really popular author and blogger and speaker, Seth Godin, who's in the marketing industry. He was talking about somewhere and, you know, basically made mention of like, yeah, you know, half of my blog posts are below average. And someone like pushed back. They're like, not you, Seth Godin. Like you're the, you're the, you're the best marketing blog in the world, right? Which wasn't, which is, which is a fact, right? It's like the most well-read marketing blog in the world. And he's like, no, no, that's what average means. Half of my blog posts are below my average because that's the definition of average, right? Like half have to be below and half have to be above. Like that's the literal definition of what I'm talking about. So he wasn't trying to fish for a compliment. He was just trying to put it out there so other people can be, can relate to the fact that like, yes, you are going to have things that aren't that great, 
because your average is above that, which means that you'll have certain things that will fall below. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you are starting to attack this mental side with Heather and she's, she's kind of you know, helping you along this path. When did you start to reap the rewards of that mental shift? Um, Oh gosh, I can't remember. You know, I, so I started working with Heather in April of 2018 and then I ran my first Boston qualifier in September of 2018. So I mean, the transition really wasn't, it didn't take too long. Um, I think it probably was a couple of months in where, you know, her supporting me kind of on the outside and then me being really determined as far as this is something that I really want to do. And this is going to be a really great chance for me to do this, just fitness level. Um, I think I just really started to dig into some of that mental work a lot more. Um, so I saw a pretty fast progression. And as you introduce speed work into your training, and that became, again, something you hadn't done before, you're doing now, and beyond just like, hey, you know, as I run faster, I get used to running faster. Did you notice that running these um-tempo segments, you know, once or twice a week was affecting you as a runner beyond just like your ability to run fast? Like, was it affecting your long runs or your endurance? Like, did you notice it having a tangible effect across the board? Or did you just feel like there was just a general improvement um, throughout your training, not just because of the speed work? Yeah, um, you know, I think it just became me being a more well-rounded runner, um, in all aspects of it. So, you know, the endurance part I had down, I was ready to run forever. I had done, I think 10 marathons up to that point. So I knew it wasn't that, you know, endurance wasn't a problem. I knew I could finish the race. Um, I think the missing component was, you know, just kind of, again, getting that mental callus, um, getting used to being uncomfortable for a long period of time. Um, and then I also think, um, you know, learning about, um, the speed work as far as developing power, power and strength, I think, you know, that just helps you be a more well-rounded runner, um, being able to push when you need to push. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you talk about how September comes, you've been working together at that point for roughly five months. And then you get that the Boston Marathon qualifier, which was the goal the whole time, something that you were working towards. What about crossing that finish line and achieving that goal made you know that not necessarily like the finishing line for you as a runner? And do, what what made you you know, catapult to future goals as opposed to say, "Hey, I did it. This was it. This was the goal. I achieved it. Now you know it's all gravy from here." Mm hmm. That was originally the goal when I had decided I was going to do this. I said, I'm going to qualify for Boston and then I'm going to be done and I can retire and I can do something else that I enjoy. Um, but I think in, you know, working with a coach, kind of learning more about the sport, more about the training, um, I saw myself just get faster by leaps and bounds um, in a quicker amount of time than I could have ever anticipated. So just seeing that progression, I started to wonder, you know, where else I could go with it. Um, and of course, Heather was always supportive as far as, you know, you have a lot more in there. This is where we could go with the development. And I just kind of said, all right, let's give it a shot. And, um, you know, my fitness has really just 
continue to progress and explode with her guidance. So what were the goals after Boston? Yeah, well, you know, Boston wasn't wasn't a great day overall when I ran it in 2019. It was a hot, humid day. Um, and, you know, being away from Illinois for a few years at that point, I just wasn't used to the humidity. So um, that was tough to run through. So I didn't run um, kind of to my potential at that point. And um, I, I wasn't disappointed. I was actually just thrilled to have run Boston. Um, it was one of the best days, just the excitement of being on that course. Um, and I knew I just wanted another stab at it. You know, I knew my, where my fitness was, I knew what I could do. Um, and I think the other mindset switch that I had was I stopped being super time oriented. I mean, I definitely wanted another PR and I wanted, you know, it'd be great to break, you know, this time on the clock, but I just kind of, my thoughts switched to, you know, I just want to see where I can go and see how fast I can get versus, you know, my worth kind of being tied to that time on the clock. So what about your work with Heather? Got you to the point where you wanted to become a coach and start pursuing that path? Yeah. Um, so, well, this brings me back to kind of my mental gains as well. Um, I found a lot of benefit out of knowing um, the purposes of workouts, um, the purposes of the different intensities, um, what those intensities should feel like. Um, that really helped me develop as a runner. And so um, I kind of went down the path of just wanting to learn more about it myself as far as kind of the physiology and all that. Um, and I ended up getting certified and, um, I, you know, I, I coached lacrosse a few years back, um, didn't have the best experience. I was coaching some middle schoolers. And if you know anything about middle schoolers, they are a challenging group. Um, so I, I definitely have a passion for that. I have a passion for working with people, um, I, you know, I work as an occupational therapist and my day just revolves around helping people get better. Um, and I just found so many parallels in coaching with what I was doing on a rehab standpoint. Um, so it was actually March or April of this year, kind of with the pandemic, I just kind of said, you know what, let's go for it and let's give it a shot. And, um, I started coaching kind of some close friends and family and just kind of see if I liked it. And I ended up just really enjoying helping other people towards their goals. Instead of always focusing on myself, it was nice talking to others about what's going on in their lives and how they want to better their running. And obviously you took to it because here you are kicking butt bringing in, you know, more people and working with, with McCurdy trained, uh, which is obviously, you know, one of, one of the best coaching services out there is, you know, I'm, it's probably better than that. I'm trying to be unbiased, but I am a member of the team. So yeah. <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard thing for me to be unbiased about, but certainly it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the country, uh, which is, you know, a great thing for you. And, and first of all, I mean, first of all, but again, congratulations. Um, I can't end our conversation here, though, because you're a huge Parks and Rec fan. This is known about yeah. you, as am I. If you had to do a top five not episode countdown because like how do you do it? But like, t- like what scenes? When you think about Parks and Rec, and a lot of times with anybody with any movie or TV show that they love, oftentimes it's the scenes that we always repeat 
to ourselves or we have best friends that we have like recurring jokes around certain kind of, you know, different lines in movies or scenes in movies. So for you, what, what are like the top five scenes from Parks and Rec that like have just embedded themselves in your brain? This might be the hardest question you've asked me, Matt, because there are just so many really great scenes from that show. Um, oh, gosh. Um, I love watching Ron eat a banana. Um, <laughs> that one gets me. <laughs> and he, like, gags on it four times. Um, that one just gets me every time. Um, April and Andy go to the Grand Canyon. They're kind of checking off their bucket list. And so they get to the Grand Canyon and they're standing there in awe. And Andy goes, um, so where are all the faces? I love that. <laughs> and, and April's face. <laughs> um, what is that, too? Um, when Burt Macklin is recreating the pie mystery and just hitting Jerry over and over with the pie. <laughs> um i would say anything with ron and tammy too i just love that character dynamic and it's even better because nick offerman and megan malawi are married in real life so it just anything with the two of them just makes me laugh so hard um oh gosh and i think the last one um when they're on the ice rink at the start of leslie's campaign and they're walking, they're walking, and they get to the end of the carpet, and the carpet ends, and they have to walk across the ice, and Leslie's trying to get back up on that platform. And while all this is happening, um, Get On Your Feet is playing over and over and over again. It just, it's perfectly done. <laughs> Perfectly done. Uh, exactly. This was a great top five. That, that was really, I was like, all right, this is such a hard question. I have no idea how she's going to get through this. I mean, you can really take a top five from any episode. Um, I know. Parks and Rec is not sponsoring this podcast, but hey, if you guys want to drop the bag, <laughs> I'm here. Reelingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. But <laughs> I will say one of my favorite things, and again, this is never like the crux of an episode, um, but like when all like Leslie's like, little funny names for Anne. Yeah. It's like, oh, and you, you know, and it's like Mad Libs, right? Uh -huh. It's like, you don't know yeah. how she's going to fill in the rest of that sentence. But like, I I die for those. Those are those are hysterical. I love them so much. Um, again, I didn't do a top five because I was gonna, I was leaning on you and this is all about you. But <laughs> I feel like if someone's listening to this and you don't listen to Parks and Rec, like, it's 2020. You are watching a lot of TV. Like, figure it out. You got to start watching this show. I know. And to hear when people are asking for like Netflix suggestions and they're like, oh, I just couldn't get into it. I just I want to talk to them and figure out what's going on because it is just my favorite show. And I could just watch it for the rest of my life and be happy. <laughs> I agree. I will say this. It does. The first season is definitely the worst of the seasons. Agreed. So if you start from the beginning and you're like expecting like dynamite because of people like me and you who are like talking it up right now and you're like. I didn't like it. It was good. Like just get through that first season and then they really find their footing. Yes. It's really similar to the office in that way too, where, you know, the first season of the office was just really cringy and awkward and you just have to push through it and see like the character development. And Oh my gosh, it just gets so good. And the running jokes, I mean, like I said, you could just watch it over and over and over and just continue to appreciate it. Right. And there's actually like, you can actually see 
when it turns, it's when Ron Swanson starts dressing like the Ron Swanson that you know. Yeah. Like when he stops yes. wearing the suit and he stops being like, um, when he starts basically becoming like mountain man Ron Swanson who hates the government instead of like libertarian Ron, serious libertarian Ron Swanson who hates the government. When yeah. he makes that shift is that's when it's like emblematic of like the, the, the season changing, I think. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. All right. That's enough Parks and Rec talk. Let's bring this to another episode. Megan, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck with all things coaching and running. Before we get going, this was not on the list of things that I sent to you in terms of potential topics or talking points, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask because it's December 28th. What are you excited about in 2021? Oh, um, I, well, I'm hopeful that the world will get back to normal. <laughs> um but, you know, I'm just excited for 2021 um, to continue to grow as a coach, um, to continue to grow as a runner, um, you know, continuing. I just, I don't know. That's a hard question, Matt. <laughs> That's not a great answer. <laughs> I, did, I, just, I did kind of just lay that one. Do you have anything in particular that, you, that you're doing? personally, professionally, running-wise, that's actually on the schedule? Do you have anything oh. scheduled for 2021 yet? So one of the big things I'm doing professionally, um, I'm actually applying to get my doctorate degree to get into a doctorate program. So that's pretty big. Holy cow. All right. So in the lineup of prefaces or prefixes, there we go, prefixes, um, does doctor or coach come first? Is it coach, doctor, Megan, or is it doctor, coach, <laughs> Megan? Um, <laughs> I think it's doctor, coach, Megan. Okay. I feel like doctor always has to go first. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. All right. I can't yeah. wait to see it. Good luck uh, with that. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad for you invited me on. I appreciate it. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Oh, gosh, especially we're going to talk about Parks and Rec. We should just do a Parks and Rec episode. We can get Allie Feller on here. I just recorded a podcast with her the other day, and we we blasted on about Parks and Rec as well. You know I love that topic. So thank you so much for coming on the show. If you are interested in learning more about Megan, maybe as a possible coach, go over to McCurdyTrained.com today. Go check out her bio. I'm on there as well. You can also check out mine uh, and contact them if you're looking for a one-on-one personal running coach. It's a great investment. It's one that I've invested in for a while. I have a coach and it's great. It really helps me out in so many different ways. Speaking of helping out your running, go over to theramblingrunner.com forward slash summit to learn more about the summit today. Get all the kind of exclusive content that you know will help you achieve your goals in 2021. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.